and welcome to the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. We got a lot on tap today as we will look ahead to two more college teams. We'll get into Florida State, the Seminoles. Not their most productive season, I should say, but they do have a number of prospects. And we'll get into Louisiana Tech as well as your phone calls at 201-939-4513. You could also hit us up on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat. We want to remind you, Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. So in a few minutes, we'll get into the Florida State Seminoles, their prospects. But in the meantime, we are inching closer and closer to the NFL draft. I know Paul is extremely excited as he looks at the calendar and looks at the My minutes My eyes the are worn out, Lance. I was going to say. Okay, I'm up to over 80 guys that I've watched tape on so Only far. Only 80. I'm over 80. I'm over 80. I'm, I'm, and the goal is, what's the number? You the told goal me is about right? 150. 150, okay. Now, but it's going to be around the clock for the next several days, trust me. Did you say 150 is more than what you normally do? I usually do like 120 to 130. Okay. And then, and then the last year I went up to 150 because the Giants were picking number two. Now they're picking number six and 17. I think I got to go to 150. Understand. Well, there's more volume of picks. So, therefore, you want to look Actually, at I think my number as of last night, I think I was at 88 players last night by the time I finally shut it down. Now, do you focus on one side of the ball or do you go school by school? I go by position. You go by position. Okay. Yeah, I go gotcha. by position. I go by position. So, in any event, I haven't touched the edge rushers yet I know some of the guys because of some things I've seen in the past and people I've talked to but uh, I really wanted to save the edge rushers for last because that's where I think the Giants are going to go at number six so I wanted to really hunker down on them and say okay this is the real meat and potatoes now at the very end and I'm really going to go to town on the edge rushers and and also quite frankly the cornerbacks I think the Giants are definitely going to go edge rusher and cornerback uh, the right tackles I did first I did 20 right tackles at the beginning of my entire process, and, and I'm going to bookend it now with the edge rushers and the corners at the back end. Well, it makes sense. I mean, there's a lot of depth at that position, number one, and I think there's substance there, too. So it would stand to reason that those players are going to get a lot of notoriety, and you don't even have to listen to the chatter. If you watch the senior poll, if you've watched the college season, you know pass rushing is a priority not just for the Giants, but I would say across the board. So it's exciting to look into what some of these top college teams have to offer. And one of them in particular is Florida State. And that is where we will kick off the festivities on the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. And we're joined by Brendan Sunone, Florida State reporter for Knowles 24-7. And he is going to weigh in on the Seminoles' prospects as we continue to set the stage for the 2019 NFL Draft. Brendan, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you here on Giants.com. Appreciate the time. How's everything? Hey, sure sure thing. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Things good. Thank you very much. And I guess we really should kick things off right up top because there is an edge rusher named Brian Burns who, I'll be honest with you, Brandon, when, when we were down at the Combine, and I spent three days there, and we talked to a lot of people about the edge rushers because we think the Giants are certainly going to be in the market for, for one, if not more. The, the mm-hmm. deal on Burns was, wow, he may be the best pure pass rusher of the edge rushers in this draft, but we also heard a lot of naysayers that said, well, um, don't know about his coverage skills, not so sure I was going to hold up against the run. Uh, it, it was not a unanimous, like, thumbs up. He's going to be the best value at six. So please give us your thumbnail sketch, and let's get into some detail as to uh, what's going on with him. So Brian Burns is kind of polarizing in that sense uh, because, one, you see the amazing athleticism and flexibility, the ability to uh, – NFL teams talk about bend a lot now, you being able to turn a corner as a pass rusher. Brian Burns can do that. He's six foot five, really long, uh, but explosive off the edge. And he showed that throughout his college career. Uh, had 10 sacks this past season as a junior. I think he had nine and a half as a true freshman. Had a slow start to his sophomore year, but ended that well, too. Um, so he's always shown the ability to get to the quarterback and, and has done so by being really fast off the edge. And that's reflected in a lot of his, uh, his testing and his metrics. And he had an awesome combine performance, as you guys probably yes. saw. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah. So he's. He's really athletic, I and mean, that's that's the the strength of him. He knows how to get get to the quarterback, and he's fast. But the knock on him 
is that he maybe he's undersized and he put on some weight uh, for the combine, but he played at about you know 230, 240. I think he's up to like 250 now, but he's always going to be a thinner guy. That's just kind of his build. He's not going to be a big bulky defensive end. He's not going to be a Jadavian Clowney. That's not who he is. Um, but with that being said, his strength is getting to the quarterback and using speed to do so. He's really, really good at that, and he's comfortable with that. I think that's important. Is he, he knows who he is as a player, and, and that's what makes him a valuable commodity as a, as a potential top-10 draft pick. Now, this opens up a, a whole Pandora's box of questions for me. Now, first up, uh, we're seeing him listed uh, out of the combine at 249. You're saying he played at about 230 when he was with the Knowles? Yeah, maybe about 235 or so, but uh, but weight was always kind of a thing that our fan base and, and readership you know, was always asking us, is it worth the weight now? Um, I will say this, is he got prog- He came in, like, I think, 225, and he got progressively bigger each year. Like He kept growing, and by the time he was a junior, you could see like he, he had become, you know, his, his frame was bigger, like he put on broader shoulders. Um, so he, so he's always gone in the right direction with that, but still, you know, the weight is always going to be what it is. Like, I don't think he's a guy who's going to be able to play it at 265 or if he is like I, I would question you know what that would do to his explosiveness like he's he's a slight frame um and that's kind of what you have to accept if you're taking him is that's always going to be uh, i would imagine what what he is, is is a guy whose game is predicated on speed but largely because he's not as big as other guys too it has to be now this opens up something for me lance i lance did the, the nit last night so his voice <laughs> is suffering a little i'm going to try to take a little bit of this off oh of you, i appreciate that because i'm sure you're hurting i can, i know i know what it's like trust me so let me ask you this as a pass rusher sometimes teams say look this guy is such a dynamic pass rusher he is so good it's all right if he can't do some of the other things and there are holes in his game because we know that he can get to the quarterback no matter what so I guess what I'm going to ask you is Burns' pass rush skills, does he have counter moves? Does he have a, a whole slew in his toolbox? Or has he basically been a one-trick, speed-around-the-edge pony for Florida State to where when he gets to the NFL, guess what? One-trick ponies don't last very long. He, he's very thoughtful with his pass rush moves and has talked a lot about having good counter techniques. And, and he, he's a very thoughtful pass rusher. Uh, again, everything is... Super, I keep saying this, it's predicated on the speed, but he's not someone who's just trying to beat you outside. That's his ultimate end goal is to, to get around the edge and beat you that way because I think that's his bread and butter. That's his strength. That's playing to what he does best. Uh, but he's someone that has counter moves. Uh, he's not going to be someone who I think is going to win inside a lot. It's going to almost always be uh, turning the corner and beating you that way. But you know, if uh, we saw this this year, if, if an offensive tackle is going to cheat and, and try to to fan out a little bit too much. Uh, he, he's so agile and quick with his feet is that he can counter inside. Uh, so, so he has that to his game. Again, the strength is always going to be the edge and the outside. Um, sure. I didn't know I'm repeating myself with that, but that, that is, that's what he does and what he does at an exceptional level. He's led college football in pressures this past year, at least in the regular season, um, and he does that by, by just being faster than people off the edge. But, again, he's not a one-trick pony. He, he can counter inside some. Uh, he he has a good understanding of pass rush moves. Um, he'll talk about that openly, that, that he enjoys the battle of pass <laughs> rushing and, and likes a good tackle. He likes it when an offensive tackle can kind of you know, play chess with him a little bit. Uh, I think he talked about that with uh, Max Sharping from NIU, who's kind of a sleeper offensive tackle. Sure. And, uh, Jawan Taylor from Florida, who may be a first-round pick. He loved going against those guys because they were both really okay. smart, really athletic offensive tackles. All right, so then I have a three-part question to finish my segment of this off, and then I'm going to let Lance jump in with what voice he has left. Uh, I I need to know, three-part question, A, what's his motor like in terms of consistency, durability, being able to, you know, if he's going to be a little bit of a slight frame, you know, that energy is going to have to be at a high level nonstop in the NFL. So what's the motor? B, uh, what happens when teams just run at him and try a power running game. Does that take the teeth out of him? How does he hold up when when people run at that edge? Can he somehow, some way, still be effective there? And then see what are his coverage skills like if he's going to be asked to do any coverage at all? Because in the NFL, you better be able to do some of that. Yep. All right. So the motor, the first part. The motor's awesome. Like he. For a guy who came in as a high, you know, four-star, borderline five-star recruit, uh, he's worked hard, and he he worked hard off the field. He really kind of emerged as more of a vocal leader last year, and it was a team that really didn't have a ton of those guys. Um, he was one of the only the 
you know, few who was who was trying to kind of carry that burden, and it was pretty clear. Um, and then on the field, you could see that too that he's someone who who goes a lot. He's on the field a ton and brings a lot of energy and is productive. I think he played almost uh, almost 900 snaps this past year, which is the most he, you know which okay. is the most he had ever played, uh, and was productive while doing so and efficient while doing so. Um, so so he works hard uh, off the field. I think he's got a pretty darn good motor on it he's someone that you don't have to worry about just kind of checking in you know for pass rush situations if, if that's what you're thinking he's, he's someone who and like i said i'll take me to, to point b uh willing to willing to go and try to set the edge against the run um okay he's again he's going to be undersized you know he's someone who's 250 right now and that's more than what his playing weight was there's obviously going to be some some level of drop off you know compared to like a big edge setter that's not his game uh, but but his run defense grade was pretty good last year. Uh, PFF had it, I think, uh, if I can pull it up now, 78.3, which is respectable. Uh, he, he's willing to. Uh, and you're going to have to help him out a little bit and make sure you're not lining him up over a tight end side where he can get double teamed. But then, yeah, that's going to be an issue. But uh, he he's at least willing to do so. But, again, he's 245, 250 pounds. Like, that's going against a 300-pound tackle. It's going to be a, a limitation. Um, and then to the last point, and, and why some people I think he, think he could be uh, a better three four outside linebacker than maybe a four three defensive end. Although he did a little bit of both at FSU, uh, his coverage skills are pretty good. Uh, you go ahead and watch his, his pro day. That was probably what impressed me the most was when they had him drop into coverage and, and show how fluid the hips are for for a six foot five guy. He can turn okay. and run pretty well. They asked him to do a little bit of that at times at FSU, more so earlier in his career when they were doing more of the hybrid defense under the previous scheme, he can do it. Um, and, and he can, I think it was against Syracuse. If you guys, you know, if your listeners want to put on Syracuse, FSU at Syracuse in 20, of mm-hmm. uh, 15, 20, no, 2016, sorry, 2016. He lines up in the slot a lot as like a hybrid kind of uh, outside linebacker slot defender some too. Cause you know, Syracuse does a lot of short passing games, so he can do it. Yeah, he can, he can do it. Not in an elite level, but enough to where you can even drop back and do something. Uh, you know, four or five snaps a game, he could probably give that to you. Okay. We're talking with Brendan Janone, Florida State reporter for Knowles 24-7. Brendan, you brought up that he liked going up against Jawan Taylor of Florida. He liked the chess match. Over the course of his career, from the time that you've covered him, how do you think he fared going up against the elite offensive tackles across the board in the ACC, since there are certainly a number of them? You know, it's kind of funny. Is I'm trying to think of actual like individual matchups. Um, it, as I'm thinking about his career, he seemed to do his best in bigger games. Uh, go ahead and look at Clemson in 2017. He brought it that game. He was awesome. He was all over the place. Uh, he forced a fumble. I uh, was deflecting passes. Like he brings it in. And I think of his 10 sacks this past year, almost all of them were in conference play. Um, like Max Sharpie in Northern Illinois shut him out, and part of that was NIU did a quick passing game and didn't want to let Brian Burns get in the backfield. <laughs> um, and so they worked, they worked around. It was probably a good idea on their part too. And they have two decent offensive tackles for, for that uh, classification of, of college football. But, uh, but he played his best in bigger games and that was consistent. Uh, I think Juwan Taylor got the better of him at the end of the year in that matchup, if, if I remember. Um, but by and large throughout his career, like he against Miami he would step up against a higher caliber of opponent. He always seemed to to make a big play or find his way getting into the backfield more consistently in those games. Again, I think that's kind of an encouraging thing when you look at him is that, that he kind of had an ability to, when, when the limelight was was on him, uh, to make a play yeah. uh, when, when needed. And I think that's, that's an attractive trait of his 100%. Well. No, I think that's a very fair point. I think we've hit a lot on Brian Burns. I know they have another defensive lineman at Florida State, Demarcus Christmas, and the reason I bring him up, and you know, the jury's still out in terms of whether he'll be a starter or a backup on the NFL level, but Brendan, I noticed his numbers dipped in 2018. Not that he's a guy that gets yeah. after the quarterback and so forth, but it's always interesting when statistical production goes down. Is that because of the overall defensive scheme, the caliber of the opposition? What do you make of why his numbers this past season weren't necessarily in line with where they were in previous years. I'll say this with DeMarcus is he came in when Jimbo Fisher was still at Florida state and Jimbo raved about him. He thought that was the best defensive tackle in that recruiting cycle. He was a lower four-star recruit, but 
they felt they had a gem with them. They thought they had someone that kind of snuck under the radar because he didn't go to a lot of camps. And, and DeMarcus ended up being a four-year contributor at Florida State, starting the last three and, and playing a pretty fair amount in when he was a redshirt freshman as well. So he played a ton. The, the thing is, he came in with decent production as a freshman and it just never got a lot better he never took the next step of becoming a dominant player he was always good he was always a good starter uh, always pretty reliable had a pretty high motor you go ahead and see especially in 2017 when when a lot of guys were checking out on Jimbo Fisher and Jimbo Fisher was checking out on them he was he was gritty and he was hustling and, and running around and, and chasing Lamar Jackson about 30 40 yards downfield or at least trying to uh, he always had a high motor but never really was a guy who I, I felt like dominated and and I think even his senior year he was supposed to be kind of the guy that's why he came back they switched to a 4-3 attacking scheme and thought that would really fit in his skill set because he's pretty quick and he's long um thought he would at least be disruptive and it just never really materialized again not a bad senior season just not a whole not discernible from what he did as a say his first full year as a starter as a redshirt sophomore or even as a redshirt junior he just never really took the next steps i don't even know if it was a regression it just wasn't progression for him which i don't know that's a red flag he was always decent as a starter just not a guy who who ever really stepped up to being a a dominant player as opposed to like brian burns who just got progressively better i felt like each season as he kind of his role became more more and more more and more pronounced well then for then for christmas and and i've had scouts tell me over the years Sometimes there are a lot of factors as to why a guy can regress in his final year in school. So they're never afraid to go back to the previous season. That would be his junior season and say, well, look, he was really good. Let's figure out why he was really good, because there may be factors as to why it didn't go well in that last year that we can overcome or polish up or overlook and still get ourselves a good player who, who showed that in his junior season. What, might that be the case for Christmas? Or is it simply, you know what, he's just reached his ceiling and there's really not much more there to polish up? I think the latter. Again, I don't know that for sure. I think that's more so. Is, is, so, again, if we're going to look at you know production and we're going to look at, like I pull up the PFF grades on him. He was a 75.8 as a redshirt sophomore, 80.1 grade overall as a redshirt junior, and 76.9 as a redshirt senior. I mean, those are all kind of in the same range. I think he just kind of kind of is a guy who showed some progress early in his career and then just kind of leveled off. And I just don't know if that's – yeah, athletically, he's fine. I think he ran a, a sub-five-second uh, 40-yard dash uh, at his pro day at SSU. I think it was in the high four nines. And I think it was around the low fives uh, at the combine, if, if memory serves. But he's not a massive guy. He's about 300 pounds. He just he, – he, He's good, and when he has a high motor, and I think that's frequent when he tries hard, uh, he's, he's really scouts good. Scouts like the motor, though. Kind you, of a thing with him. you know, Brandon, scouts like the motor. They'll overlook some things yeah. if the guy's got a motor. And he has that. I, I would say, again, to, to your listeners, if they have time, uh, find his film against Louisville in 2017. Okay. Uh, he's There's one example where he chases a play downfield, probably about 50 yards downfield, and that was my kind of thinking, like, oh, man, he may have, like, you know, he may have a future because he was playing well, too. He was being productive. He was starting to kind of, you know, for a team that wasn't trying very hard at that point in the season, that was about ready to check out uh, on his head coach, and his head coach was about to leave. Um, he he was showing those kind of examples. And he had flashes last season, guys. It just wasn't, it just, for whatever reason, and I remember talking to someone on staff about this, thinking, like, I was disappointed that, that DeMarcus Christmas wasn't taking that next step that, that we kind of mm. thought he was going to. And, and Stafford said they thought he was playing well and doing what he was asked with the scheme, so maybe it was a scheme change. It just never materialized into him becoming a, a dominant player, just always a very steady, very good one. I guess just something to be said for that, though. Yeah. Um, and again, when you blend it with the motor, I just, you know, I don't know what value is necessarily placed, you know, draft pick wise on, on that, if that makes sense. No, it makes absolute sense, and I think there's value in a player like that, to your point, because if you look at today's NFL, they need as many defensive linemen as they can to rotate them, because Mm -hmm. nobody's going to play 90 to 95% of the snaps, so there's always that guy that's going to be able to eat up space and stop the run and so forth. That's why I think it's interesting to bring up somebody like Christmas. Want to move to the offensive side of the ball, somebody that I think has shown more than just flashes, Nyquan Murray, the wide receiver, known mainly as a slot guy. Here's my my big question, Brendan, when it comes to evaluating his production, Florida State's mm-hmm. quarterback production, it's fair to say, was very inconsistent during the course of his tenure. 
is it sure. a huge upside when you say, hey, what he put up with that type of quarterback production, or did we already see his ceiling and you don't think he could take it a step up-wise? Uh, what concerns me with, with Nyquan Murray or Nooney is what, he's, uh, what he goes by, the Nooney Murray, um, is he's, you know, his testing numbers weren't great. I think he had a 4'6", 40-yard mm-hmm. dash, and mm-hmm. you know, a guy who's shorter yeah. than six feet tall. Um, so you think yeah, athleticism and, and being quick and twitchy and even explosive with the 40 would be something that he would need to rely on. Um, he was one of the more frustrating players to watch during the Jimbo Fisher era uh, because he showed, one, some brilliant, brilliant moments. Uh, the Orange Bowl in 2016 against Michigan, he has two catches, two mm-hmm. touchdowns, including mm-hmm. the game winner in which he jumped over, uh, oh, who's the Dallas Cowboys corner? Jordan, uh, Jordan Lewis? Is yeah, Jordan Yes, yes. yes. Um, yep, yeah, from Michigan. Yeah, and he and he, he just went up and got it over him. And that was when I was you know, ended up being a pretty high draft pick uh, that year and, and Nooney was a sophomore then. Um and would produce he was DeAndre Francois's favorite target. Those two guys knew each other from Orlando, so the quarterback loved going to him. Uh sometimes I think forced it. The issue with, with Nyquan Murray is that he ran hot and cold. Uh, you could see plays where he would just not block uh if the ball wasn't coming his way. Uh his body language wasn't always great. Uh, so those are things that NFL teams are going to have to vet. You're going to see uh, one production that's there, two uh, some really really special moments where he makes some freakishly athletic plays. He has great hands, um, but but then the downside is he didn't always bring it and would disappear in, in some big moments too at points in his career. Never got, in my opinion, markedly better. Uh, even though he got more reps and more opportunities, he never really put it all together. And then you combine that with some of the testing numbers that weren't weren't great. Um, yeah, I just I wonder if that's a draftable prospect at this point. I mean, he's certainly going to find himself on an NFL roster, and someone's going to take a look at him. I'm sure at some point or another, whether it's as a late round pick or you know, a high priority undrafted free agent because of the production. I guess I'm just skeptical whether he's someone who's going to be able to put it all together because it hasn't happened to date, and and he had four years to do so, and it was disappointing, guys, because he was someone who who a lot of people around the program thought was going to be special. Well, I think that's a great insight on your part. That's why you can't just look at numbers. You can't just look at film. There's always the story behind the closed doors. He is Brendan Zanone, Florida State reporter for Knowles 24-7. Kind enough to join us here on Giants.com. Big Blue Kickoff Live. Brendan, greatly appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks so much for weighing in on the Florida State prospects. Appreciate it. Sure. Yeah, sure thing. Thanks for having me, guys. You got it. Absolutely. So that is the layout of the land For Florida State, we're going to get into Louisiana Tech, which essentially just has one prospect a little bit later on in the program. And in between, we're going to try to get to as many phone calls as possible at 201-939-4513. And Florida State is the type of team, just in my opinion, Paul, I think it certainly fell under the radar this year from a prospect standpoint Mm -hmm. because the team overall did not perform. So that hurts the stock of players right there. And, you know, I, I thought Brendan gave a nice synopsis of... You know, not just spelling out all the positives of these guys, the question marks that I think you can align with all three of the guys that we asked him about. Well, I think the important thing when we talk to these folks who have seen these players up close and personal on a week-in and week-out basis, I mean, that's why we're bringing them to you because they've seen these guys. They have eyewitness accounts, which is better than anything else that we can talk about. We can watch tape, and that says a lot. But it doesn't say everything. It doesn't tell the whole story. And and these guys, no, they're not their coaches. They're not they're not scouts. So you know you have to understand that it is an amateur type look. But it's still a lot more information than you're going to get from reading, uh, you know, something on the web or, or even the video that we see. So I did think he was very full uh, in terms of his in- info basket. He he did a wonderful job of breaking down things. And I was very specific in the questions I yeah. asked about Burns because you know I know what I look for. When I, when I see the tape, I, I've, I've gotten scouts who have coached me into what what are you looking for What when you look at the cut-ups and the, and the clips. Uh, this, 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 this. Okay, well, this is really good, but how good is it? And is there a hidden missing part to that deal? And, okay, if this pass rusher is so good, well, then it's okay if he's not great against the run because you can situationally use him and he can still have a tremendous impact on the game. These are things that you know a lot of people don't think about, but that's the scout's angle. And I thought he was really great in answering the detailed questions as I came at him from different perspectives. 
Absolutely. Let's open up the phone lines, 201-939-4513. A reminder that Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. Let's go to Mike in Boston. Mike, welcome to Giants.com. What do you got for us? Hey, thank you for taking my call. Thanks for um, Just a couple couple of things real quick. Um, I wanted to talk about the draft, but I, I know I don't want to beat a dead horse with the OBJ thing. Just give a quick feedback on that. Um, I know the fans have kind of, you know, looked at it from a couple of different angles, some happy, some not so happy. Um, I'm not a fan of that particular trade, although I do have a lot of confidence in Gettleman. Um, I do feel like over the past couple of years with the old regime, there have been some, some rough seasons, and I felt like OBJ gave the fans something to look forward to when he took one to the house and did a dance. Not that I'm a big fan of watching players dance in the end zone, but there was something special about it, and I guess I, I just want to say I'll miss that, you know. But, Understood. Um, yeah. In, ter- in terms of Gettleman, um, with the quarterback situation, I, I, I like what he said so far. One of the things I just wanted to, to mention, he, he threw out this whole thing about no guts, no glory. He's talked in the past about Ernie Corsi, uh, you know, his feedback about Eli Manning and how he had a confidence that, in, in under pressure, he could you know he could deliver um, under the you know in, in the Super Bowl and so forth. I've looked at Josh Rosen and last year, I I was thrilled with the Saquon Barkley pick. But if you would have told me that there was a scenario where we could also get Josh Rosen, if that was even possible, it would have been unreal. Because I think he's a very tough kid, and I think that goes under the radar is the moxie part, and sometimes. You know, I, I hear the feedback that, oh, this guy could make this throw and he could do this and that. And that's great. You could win a lot of games with that. But when you're in the playoffs, when you're playing in January or February, um, some players, I felt like Jared Goff, to me, didn't, didn't have it, you know, uh, when, it, when it mattered the most, you know, when you needed him to drive it down the field in that Super Bowl. Um, I like seeing a guy who, who has that moxie and that toughness. I felt like Eli had that, you know, and that's something that uh, – you know, I, I think Josh Rosen might be able to bring to the table. Well, it's an extremely small sample size for Josh Rosen at this point to know whether or not he does have some of those character traits. I mean, he suffered multiple concussions in college. I think there is a toughness factor that he bounced back from that. But, I mean, I would not go so far, Mike, and I'm not saying that you were, to say that you put Josh Rosen on the big stage and he's automatically going to deliver. I think he was put in a very tough spot last season offensive line was not stable in Arizona. David Johnson went down, didn't have much of a stable running game even when he was in the lineup. So you look at all of that, you got to really see more of Josh Rosen. You got to see him in a stable environment before we can run with a narrative to paint him as a quarterback moving forward. But he's young. He's on a rookie contract. There's a lot to like just from a value standpoint of Josh Rosen, which is understandable if the Cardinals do decide to take Kyler Murray and they want to shop Rosen, and right now it's all speculative, I could see a lot of teams being interested because he's only played 14 games and his contract's not eating up a lot of cap space. So New England, Chargers, all these teams looking for successors, I think would have interest. Yeah. And, and I agree with that. On that note, I will say this, too, though. Um, what, what is interesting to me in terms of uh, if they do decide to trade him, his market, New England holds the, the 32nd pick. And so if we were shopping, at, you know, if we were offering a second rounder, they, they would not only beat us by five spots, but also a 50-year option. So it is interesting that we do have a little more ammunition now with the 17th, although I do think if we were to – ends up going that far, we'd have to get something else back, whether it's getting back a second, you know, mm-hmm. um, throw in the 17th, get back a second, maybe even a third or, or something along those lines. But I feel like we have a little bit more um, ammunition because New England, you know, they have a pocket passer right now. It, it's similar with Eli. They, they are in an ideal situation to start grooming a guy who's more of your traditional uh, type of passer, I, I would think, than you know, let's say more, you know, one of the newer uh, mobile guys. Well, like and, the, and the Patriots have invested in a lot of other quarterbacks. And, Mike, we're going to let you go on that note. I mean, you look at all the guys that they've drafted in recent history, Jimmy Garoppolo, Jacoby Brissett, 
Ryan Mallett. I'm not saying that they're all going to pan out, but they're not shy whether Brady's got a year left, two years, five years left, and saying, hey, let's groom a quarterback. So that's why I think New England and Rosen is certainly an interesting connection if it ever gets to that point. Right now, we're going to turn our attention back to college prospects and Louisiana Tech, speaking of pass rushers, has mm-hmm. a guy that I think has a knack for getting to the quarterback, Paul. And <laughs> to further break down the ins and outs of Jalen Ferguson, we're now joined by Louisiana Tech's play-by-play man for the Louisiana Tech Sports Network, and that is Dave Nitz. Dave, you got Lance Middle, Paul Dettino here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, Giants.com. Appreciate the time. How's everything? Well, thank you. I appreciate the, appreciate the time, sir. Thank you, Dave, for, for coming on with us. And, and we know that uh, we should tell our listeners, you, you've been doing play-by-play down there at Louisiana Tech for decades. So your experience and your eye is certainly going to be one that can recognize the good and the bad and, and even the questionable things that a player might bring to the table. And, and I think the, the first thing that, that we hear when, when, when people talk to us about Ferguson is, my goodness, he's got all the tools. And he should have been an absolute monster and a beast in school. And yet maybe there were times when the motor wasn't quite as hot and running quite as well as it should have. That's the kind of general statement that I, I get when I, when I first ask a question about him. What will you tell us about him that will either dispel that notion or confirm that, that, uh, that prognosis? One of the things I like about Jalen Ferguson, I think his motor runs about 100 miles an hour because, you know, pass rushing is is really his forte. Mm-hmm. Of course, he led the nation in sacks this this year and and the nation in, in in his career also. But you know, he I don't know how he does it, but he he can get to a quarterback quicker than anybody I have seen. I think the best other pass rusher I have seen at Louisiana Tech was a guy by the name of Fred Dean who was in the <laughs> NFL Hall of Fame. Yeah, big but, hands, uh, man. I know. He was great. What's that? Uh, Fred Dean was outstanding. Big hands Dean. I remember him. Yeah, uh, Fred Dean, of course, uh, ended up, you know, he played for the 49ers mm-hmm. but uh, and the San Diego Chargers and in the NFL Hall of Fame. He wasn't quite as tall as Jalen Ferguson is, but he had the strength, and that's one thing that Jalen has been able to do from his junior to his senior year, I think, uh, even from his sophomore year. I mean, you look at him, even as a freshman when he came in at Tech, he was kind of a thinly built guy, and he has been able to put on the necessary weight. And I don't know what he's up to now, probably 220, I guess, something like that. But uh, he can get to a quarterback as quick as anybody I've ever seen. And, you know, throughout the year, uh, teams were not only double-teaming him, they would bring another extra back in to just block Ferguson to try to keep him away from the quarterback. So I think that's his forte, and I think that's what you'll see at the NFL realm. When he gets to the NFL, how do you see him? As more of a power guy who's going to try to get to the passer, or is it going to be more technique-oriented? And and do you see him suited better in a 3-4 front or a 4-3 front when he goes pro? Probably in a 4-3 front because maybe he is not as powerful as maybe a defensive tackle would be. So I think in a in a 4-3 front, from a defensive end standpoint, that's going to be his best forte. But, you know, I don't know. I mean, you, you never know. When you get a guy to camp, uh, he may turn around and be better 3-4 guy than he was a 4-3. Mm-hmm. When you look at his production, I, I think it certainly jumps off the page, Dave, but most people, and Paul alluded to this, that perhaps his production, and you mentioned he's got a high motor, but it's maybe more of an attribute to his smarts as opposed to necessarily his athleticism. How fair of a synopsis is it to say that a lot of his productivity is because how he can break down and assess a play so quickly, much more so than perhaps the caliber of talent that he was going up against within that conference? I think I think you're correct there because uh, you know he he's a guy that will look at a lot of film and everything and he'll figure out a team where he can rush the best and get to a, a passer either, you know, looping it around and so forth. But, you know, I don't think he's a what I would call a strictly a power guy. His quickness is his, his asset, really. Let me ask you this, Dave, because so many guys who get to the quarterback are just interested in rushing the passer. 
and they may not be quite as interested in playing the run, holding the point of attack and anchoring and, and dealing with some of the other, quote, dirty work that doesn't necessarily make Sports Center uh, at the end of the evening. How is he dealing with those things? Is, is he uh, an aggressive guy who's going to play an all-around game? I think, I think aggressiveness is the best word for him because, you know, he, he will start to rush a passer and he might do a little stutter step or something like that, and all of a sudden they try to run the ball, and he's right there. So he, <laughs> he's, he's a smart guy. I mean, he really is. And, uh, you know, I, I think he'll be an asset to whoever gets him. We're talking with Dave Nitz, play-by-play announcer for the Louisiana Tech Sports Network, focusing on Jalen Ferguson, by far their top prospect. Whenever anyone looks at numbers of a player coming from a smaller conference, the immediate narrative is, well, you know, how much credit can you truly give that player? He's not going up against the SEC, the ACC, and so forth. Dave, as somebody that obviously covers Conference USA very closely, and our listeners may not, how would you assess the overall conference and the caliber of talent that he went up against to perhaps not take away from the substance of his production? Well, I think, uh, you know, you face teams like Southern Miss out of Conference USA, which is very good. Uh, you know, we played Mississippi State, which is a pretty good SEC team. So we've, we have, and, you know, we've, uh, you know, we've played some teams that uh, we've, we feel like that uh, are better caliber, I guess, athletic-wise than what Louisiana Tech. But, uh, you know, we've been able to match up against those teams quite well. Let me ask you this, Dave, and, 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 you know, I don't want to take a ton of time on this because from all reports, uh, this is a guy who made some mistakes earlier in his life off the field and, and seems to have cleaned them up. I mean, the NFL, as you know, did not invite him to the combine initially because right. of the off-the-field yep. stuff, and then they said, well, well, we'll get his measurables and his medical. Uh, could you give us a feel for what he's about as a guy and if, in fact, he can be a, a team player and an asset to a locker room? I think, uh, you know, one of the things I think the NFL looked at, you know, was the incident apparently, and I didn't even really know about it myself, that happened at a local McDonald's. He got into a fight or something like that as a freshman. You know, freshmen a lot of times uh, are a little more aggressive, kind of, <laughs> I guess, uh, mark their own ground, you know, and say, you know, kind of like, like a dog marking his, uh, marking the backyard or whatever. But, uh, and I think that was part of it, but he is just a very humble person. And I've interviewed him, and uh, he, uh, you know, he's just grateful to, and the thing I like about him was the fact that he could have gone out his junior year. I don't know how high he would have gone his junior year, but he wanted to come back and finish his degree and play with the seniors that came in with him. So that says a lot about the personality of a guy. Well, and speaking of his personality, I think work ethic is another big aspect. Now, you mentioned that one thing that's jumped out to you about his film study session, but from what you observed, I mean, how has he grown and matured from a work ethic standpoint when it comes to interacting with his team and putting in the practice time? I think he's, he's, he's grown immensely. You know, a lot of freshmen come in, and they've been the big man on campus in high school, and now all of a sudden they get to college, and they have to kind of step back and, okay, you know, what have I got myself into? And I think his work habits have increased immensely since then. Final question for, for me on him. Uh, when, when you hear the scuttlebutt around campus or, or maybe some of the football people who are talking about what his future holds, do you sense the fact that you know he will in fact be a mid to late first round pick or or people are talking about him more as a top of the second round situation i think quite honestly based on his toolbox it'd be fortunate for a team to get him in the second round but again there are some teams who may have some doubts i think i think it would be on a borderline i think he would be either a low first round or a top second round choice that that would be my feeling and i you know i'm not in touch with the nfl like you guys are, but, you know, that's just my feeling off the top of my head. I think it depends on who gets him and what they want one of him at the present time. But I think he'll either go a low first round or a high second round. Well, related to that, and last one for me, Dave, and I know you mentioned that you're not necessarily looking at the mock drafts left and right to determine <laughs> where he's going, and I don't blame you for doing that because there's only so much that I can take for that, but... <laughs> Jalen Ferguson did take part in the Senior Bowl, and I think that was an important part of at least maybe 
putting him on the radar of a number of teams. And, and I liked what I saw even out of the game, which you can only read so much into. Right. I don't know how much you've interacted with him, Dave, since he's taken part of the senior ball, how much he's been on campus. But from maybe what you've observed, from what you've viewed, how much do you think the senior ball and him being a participant in that perhaps elevated his stock at all? I think it elevated his stock because, you know, he is, he's not just an individual type player. He's a team player, and that's one of the things he, he wants to do. He just wants to win. Uh, you know, whether he gets one sack or three sacks in a game, you know, his, his basic uh, theory is, okay, what am I going to have to do to help this team win? I think that's the asset of Jalen Ferguson. He is Dave Nitz, the play-by-play announcer for the Louisiana Tech Sports Network. Dave, before we let you go, is there anyone else on Louisiana Tech who is under the radar who might sneak into the third day of the draft or maybe even surprise somebody as an undrafted rookie free agent who could, you know, all of a sudden open some eyes if they get to an NFL camp? Well, I'm not sure right now. You know, uh, we've had some guys that uh, maybe have even gone as free agents. I mean, uh, I know we there's a wide receiver at San Francisco, Trent Taylor. Everybody said he was uh, too small, too small, you know, too slow. But he reminded me so much of a Pat Tilly back in the days when he was with the St. Louis Cardinals, another Louisiana Tech wide receiver. And you know, we may have some guys like that that are kind of under the radar, but maybe go as a free agent. That uh, hey, you never know. Uh, they go to camp, and all of a sudden they've made the ball club, and all of a sudden, you know, they're, uh, you know, maybe a backup wide receiver or a backup offensive tackle or defensive tackle. You just never know until you get them to camp. Well, it'll be interesting to see if another Louisiana Tech player jumps onto an NFL roster, as you mentioned, similar to Trent Taylor with San Francisco. He is Dave Nitz, play-by-play announcer for the Louisiana Tech Sports Network. Dave, greatly appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks so much for joining us on the program. Appreciate it, Dave. Well, thank you very, thank you very much. Y'all have a good day. You, you too. as well. That is Dave Nitz okay. again weighing in on Jalen Ferguson here on Giants.com, and he's a pass rusher that we certainly have brought up previously on this program. He's somebody that adds to the depth of that position, and you know the mo I think for him is certainly his ability to get to the quarterback. The million dollar question, and you raised this with Dave, is is it skyrocketed because of the caliber of talented Conference USA? Can you move him around? Is there versatility? I mean, I think that's what NFL teams are going to have to determine at this point. Well, I'm interested in one thing that Dave said that kind of didn't jive with what some of the folks at the Combine said when when he was really happy with his motor. Yeah. He made that very clear. He said 100 miles an hour. Some of the guys at the Combine were, were not so sure about that. They they thought that there were times when, you know, there wasn't a full all-out uh, attempt uh, at, at playing his snaps. I'm going to have, like I told you, I didn't look at Ed Rushers yet. I'm, I'm going to dive in deep into Ed Rushers very, very soon here. And I'm going to be very, very, very careful to watch his film. And it's not just what happens when you get off at the snap, but it's the pursuit playing to the other side of the field, making sure that you're up and down the line, making sure that you play to the whistle. And then what happens, not just in the first quarter of a game, but how does he go through into the to the final quarter? You know, these are all things, when you talk about a guy's motor, when I say somebody has a motor, all right, all of those things that I just raised to you, he gets a check for. And, you know, you don't give a check for the motor unless all of those things are covered. If you're missing any of them, you don't get motor as one of the pluses. Yeah. Because because I got my little chart here. Okay. I want to show I want to show this to you folks because you can only see it here now. That's it. Because now if you read it, you have to be killed. I can't let you speak. Yeah. The secrets can't get out. The secrets can never get out. Yes. And and so I I put I put all my positive remarks in blue on at the top and all my negative remarks in red on the bottom. And those are the impressions I get from watching the guy's tape. And motor is a very, very, very delicate one. Because if any of those elements are missing, he doesn't get it. He doesn't get motor. Motor's a that's a that's a precious one for it's me. It's huge too. Because it's an intangible that doesn't necessarily talk to the guy's skill box. It talks to the fire in his belly. Desire. The heart, work ethic. the desire, the work ethic. That that motor word where that quality can actually overcome 
a possible deficiency in the yeah, toolbox. Well, it can make up for a deficiency. So I don't give that one out lightly. So I'm really curious about this now after talking to Dave. Well, there was one play, and that's why I brought up the senior bowl with Dave. And once again, small sample size, just a week of work. But the game, and, and I watched those senior bowl, I remember a play where, you know, the play was breaking down. The quarterback was scrambling, and Ferguson chased down the quarterback and I believe was credited with bringing him down on a sack. So, you know, those are the types of plays. He's more than capable of doing that, Paul. Now, did he consistently do that on every single snap at Louisiana Tech? I can't speak of that. I didn't watch every single Louisiana Tech snap, but that jumped out to me, and when you see that extra effort, that's what you want to see out of a defensive lineman. I, slash pass rush. I do remember when I watched the Senior Bowl jotting down some positive notes about him, but again, that's all I've actually seen of him to this point. I got, I got to get to the tapes. Let's head back to the phone lines as we take you up till noon Eastern to 1 p.m. Eastern, excuse me. It would be I guess, 12 Central for those of you on a different time lane. <laughs> 201-939-4513. Charlie is in Portland, Maine, speaking of somebody on a different time length. What's happening, Charlie? <laughs> hey, a different planet yeah, is more like it. Too, yeah. How are you doing, Charlie? Hey, I like your new voice. It's oh, thanks. gritty. It's street. It's Johnny Most-esque. I'm like glad it. you enjoy it. Wonderful. <laughs> I aim to please. <laughs> Do you know who Johnny Most was? I do indeed, yes. Okay, good. I just wanted to make sure. Hey. <laughs> You're testing me now on the program. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Hey, I sent you guys an incredible link. Wow. <laughs> Can't wait till I get my hands on this. Beatty sending out a video showing you this guy is back, he's agile, he's quick, and he's ready to compete in the NFL again. Absolutely. Super, it was such a great video. I couldn't have done a better video myself. Charlie. What do you guys think? Charlie, okay, I, I'm going to make this really, really simple for you, okay? <laughs> I, I'm still in communication with Jumbo Elliott. And guess what? Just like Will Beatty's not coming back, Jumbo's <laughs> not coming back either. <laughs> But okay. did you see the video? Wasn't it good? Uh, it was a good yeah. video. Well, it was okay. good in your eyes. That's what it was. And you have a very special place in your heart for Will Beatty. So we understand that you're not necessarily bringing the full range of perspective to this program when it comes to that offensive lineman in particular. Hey, he will be on an NFL team. It probably won't be ours, but he'll be on an NFL team this year. You watch. Look, he's, a, watch. Nice, he's a nice guy. I wish him well. If he still wants to compete, I hope somebody gives him a chance. And if he wins a job, that means he earned it. Good for him. Yeah. And, and yeah. I mean that. I mean that because I got along with Will very, very yeah. well and his family. Sweet people. Nice people. But, but Charlie, as far as this particular organization, that, that boat sailed. Well, and you would think Charlie would be the guy that at this point would be aiming to develop finding a young offensive yeah, lineman. Instead, don't... he chases after the <laughs> why, veterans. Why aren't you looking at tape of the draft days. prospects? Yeah, I never understand no, that. I want, I want a veteran right tackle. I don't want some rookie coming in, making a bunch of mistakes. I want a veteran guy on the right side. You know, yeah, draft somebody, but let make him the swing tackle if he's good. Fine, that's fine with me. Let him learn. And give me a veteran. That's what I want to see on this offensive line. Let me let me just say this to you, Charlie. If, if Reisner should happen to fall to the Giants at number 37, you will be as happy with him as you were with Will Hernandez last season. Reisner is the kind of guy who who's just a pit bull. He's a, he's a Hernandez type. He's a Richie Soiber type. He's that kind of offensive lineman. Trust me, if they draft him at 37 – and you plug him into right tackle opening day, you are going to have a very big smile on your face. Believe me. Charlie and Happy in the same sentence. No, he for will an be. Offensive he will lineman. be. I, I promise you, Charlie. Do you think he'll I'd be love there to see that. at 37? There's that's a chance. Good. There's definitely a chance. He should be a high second round pick. That's, that's, right. that's, and, and I would be very, Andre Dillard's another one, depending upon, yeah. there are some people who think he could sneak into the low first round, but if he's sitting there at the t early second round, you absolutely got to jump at a guy like that. Well, and listen, you can't necessarily compare 2018 to 19, but I'll take it a step further. Not just Will Hernandez, but Braden Smith, who went to the Colts. Two guys, high second round picks that started as rookies. And played well. And played well, correct. So it's not a stretch to say you can't get 
a starter, perhaps, high in the second Charlie, round. let me just add one thing before we let you go, sure. okay? Yeah. Dave Gettleman himself expressed to us, without giving up any secrets, that there is a deep crop of offensive tackles in this draft. And, and I've talked to people who say you might even get a playable tackle in the third round. Now, the Giants, unfortunately, are picking late in the third round as the result of the deal with the yeah. Browns. That kind of bothers me a little. They may have to move up into the high third round to get one of those plug-and-play guys. But believe me, do not, do not hold it against one of these offensive tackle prospects if he's picked in the second or third round and assume he cannot immediately start. That would be a mistake. This is a good crop. All right, I'll take your word. And, and Paul, just pass that video along to Gettleman, would you? Yeah, just, sure. Or, or, or Lance, just, just send 100 that video. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll bother him at lunch with yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I can't <laughs> think of other priorities for him to take care of than watching a link sent by Charlie at Portland, Maine. And we appreciate well, it. Charlie. Well, Charlie. Thanks so much for weighing in. Yep, whenever Will Beattie sends anything out, you know Charlie is going to be right on top of it. But I, I think it's a fair point that you brought up, Paul, in terms of offensive lineman and you know as I said what happened in 2018 it's not crazy to think that you could get a starting caliber offensive lineman especially if this draft is so deep on the defensive front and teams are aggressively pursuing those players let's say even in the late stage of the first round then offensive linemen are only going to fall which is going to help a team that did not reach for one early in the draft but may want to grab somebody in the early stages of the second round. Well, I'll give you some names, Charlie, okay? You, you, you want to talk about some names uh, who, who could be there in the second or third round who could be plug-and-play right tackles. Uh, David Edwards out of Wisconsin, okay? Absolutely. You know, he's not a first-round pick, but this guy can play. They've got three offensive okay. linemen, by the way, coming into the I mean, draft. like, I'll give, you an, I'll give you an idea, all right? What I wrote down about him, the, the, the characteristics I liked, power, hands, angles and he finishes his blocks what I didn't like so much okay is that he extends his arms a little bit too much so you know you got to keep your leverage so you got to keep your arms tight and he does play a little high at times but the guy is 6'7 319 pounds and he played at Wisconsin and by the way they grow offensive linemen like trees there okay if you get him on on the second day he's going to compete as a plug-and-play starter Okay, so so there's a name to watch for. Uh, another guy you might want to watch for, Greg Little, who originally was thought of as a first-rounder, but right now a lot of people think maybe he's going to be a, a second-rounder, inconsistent uh, type of guy, but certainly has the skill set and the body makeup. Uh, I really like the guy. You want a sleeper? A guy who probably is going to be a third-round pick, Caleb McGarry, okay, out of the University of Washington, 6'6", 318 pounds. I wrote down power. Uh, he's got uh, uh, a punch. He plays to the second level and he takes out linebackers, which is something really, really good for Saquon Barkley, by the way. Okay. Uh, I wrote down, uh, well, the thing you got to deal with with him, obviously the heart, he had a heart ailment yeah. in, in school. Uh, not the most agile guy. And against speed rushers, you know, he will have a little bit of problems. You know, he's going to have to make sure he polishes up his technique. But that's why he's a third rounder instead of a first rounder. But that guy's a solid third-round pick who absolutely could win a starting job week one, Caleb McGarry. So, you know, these are the kinds of guys we're talking about. They're not going to be first-rounders, but they'll be there on the second day. Johnny Kajust, another one. Another one, yep. I mean, are you you know, this, this guy can play. Health is also a concern with him. ACL in 2016, yeah. you know. So... Anyway, yeah, I, I did work on 20 offensive tackles, and I'm telling you, man, there are guys here. You don't, don't, don't snuff them off just because they're not picked in the first 32. Well, and you hit it right on the nose. That, I think, is a big part of the conversation, that people think in order to get a starting caliber offensive lineman, Paul, you have to take them in the top 10 picks or whatever it may be. And we just named you two guys between the Giants and the Colts last year high in the second round that turned out to be promising starters. Now, is it just one year? Yes, it's just one year. Does that mean that they're going to be Hall of Famers? No, that's not what we're trying to spell out here. It's just you could get an impactful guy high in the second round that could come in year one and make significant strides. See, that's why, as I've said to people, with the number six pick, you know, I've been all in on an edge rusher slash right tackle. To me, 
The only right tackle that you can pick at number six is Jamal Taylor from Florida. Okay, he's... Jawan Taylor, yeah. Jawan Taylor. He's that guy, okay? Outside of him, you got to go edge rusher at six because once you get down to the middle of the second round, the edge rushers start to fade away. Well, you can still get a starting right tackle maybe in the third round. They're, they're deeper, okay? They're deeper than the impact pass rushers are. And there are. probably also won't be a rush on them. I'm sure. So that's the other thing. So to me, that's why I, I still keep saying to people, it's going to be edge rusher at number six. I'd consider Taylor, but I think it's going to be the edge rusher at six. I really do. Well, it's a need, and I think it'd be great value. So no disagreement there. And this relates to a call that we had earlier in the program before we spoke to Dave Nitz about, you know, Josh Rosen speculation and would you perhaps take assets? I truly think that the whole point of Dave Gettleman getting an additional first rounder is to address another area of need, Paul, not necessarily package it to grab somebody perhaps for the future on potential. I mean, you've used both of your first-round picks. Let's assume the Giants do, meaning they don't take it and move it for a veteran or whatever it may be. You could bring in a pass rusher. You could bring in two pass rushers. Who's to say 6 and 17 can't be pass rushers? That's absolutely possible. Or maybe an edge rusher and a cornerback at 17. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly logical. That could happen, too. It's not going to be a corner at 6, I don't think. But there's value in the second half of the first round at cornerback. Well, and that could potentially be two starters on defense. Again. I mean, is that not going to help you? The way I see it, the value based on what's in this draft fits the Giants' needs very, very, very well. You know you need right tackles. There's going to be a number of them in this draft. You know you need defense. And there are plenty of guys on the defensive line and edge rushers and cornerbacks. And the Giants need all those spots. And the value is just littered throughout the first three rounds at these positions. So, which is, again, why I insisted to everybody, Gettleman was going to get a third-round pick somehow, some way. And you know what? He did get a third-round pick. It's lower than I'd like it to be, but I told you he'd get back into the third round. There was never a doubt in my mind. Well, because I think he understands having a volume of picks is going to help you in the long run. And I'm going to use Indianapolis again. I've brought this team up. I think it's a fair blueprint. They moved on from some of their household veteran names over the last few years, Paul. They brought in Chris Ballard. Their general manager is a big believer, and you build the team through the draft. So what does he do? He collects a lot of picks last year, Paul. And he grabbed Quentin Nelson in round one. I think that worked out, at least in the early stages. He came around, and the offensive line was just terrible for the Colts. I mean, it was a huge question. Why do you think Andrew Luck got hurt? Yeah. So then he comes around against Braden Smith. And then he has another second-round pick, Paul. And he gets Darius Leonard. Mm -hmm. So he got two offensive line starters, one of the most dynamic defensive players that came out of this year's draft. Mm -hmm. And he didn't ship picks out of town. He used them. So... If you're now thinking, okay, well, the Giants, I'm not saying that they have identical picks. I'm just saying Dave Gettleman could do the same exact thing. He could dress multiple areas of need and start building up the youth movement, which to me would be a wise game plan and also not stress out your cap. Well, let's again make sure people understand. And I know everybody knows they've got the 6 and 17 in round one. Yep. They've got number 37 overall, which is in round number two. It's actually the fifth pick of the second round. And then in in round three, the Giants got to go all the way down to overall pick number 96, which would be uh, the 32nd pick uh, of that round. The equivalency. The equivalency, because that's the one that they were able to get in the deal with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, They had to give up pick number 71 uh, earlier uh, as part of the the trade for uh, Ogletree. So, you know... I knew. Well, that's why they were looking. They had to get another pick in that round. They just had to. There's too much talent to be cultivated in the third round not to be utilizing a pick there. Now, the question is, you know, are they going to stay at 96? Maybe Dave uses one of his third-day picks in combination to try to get up from 96 to get up higher into the third round. You and I have said this multiple times on this program. I think with 12 picks— Highly unlikely. He's not picking 12 players. 12 guys, exactly. No are going to be making the roster. There's no way. So you have to say to yourself, you might as well 
put two and two together and see what you could get in return. But, you know, let's not be mistaken here. It's not as if a pair of sevens or something is going to lead you to the promised land. A three with something, to your point, Paul, I think that's a logical game plan if you want to move up a little bit higher. They've got two in the fourth and two in the fifth. Yeah. You know, uh, so... You know that that and and then there's the compensatory they picked up in the fifth round too. So really, it's two in the fourth and three in the fifth. Once you get past that, that's what I'm saying. You're kind of talking about throwing picks. Yeah, just to know. make the deal sound nice. A basically. lot of teams value the fourth rounders more than you would think, and the reason is because the way the draft is now broken up. You don't remember the old days, do you? But now the draft is in three days. Yeah. Okay. In the old days. <laughs> it wasn't like that. So now you got the first round and everybody says, okay, sleep on it. All right, now you go the next day, rounds two and three. You sleep on it again. So now you've had two nights to sleep on it. And now everybody after the third round, all the NFL teams reorganize their boards. And they're sitting there and they're saying, okay, let's reorganize again. Basically, we're starting the draft new with the fourth round. And they're saying, we've had time to sleep on it. Who are the sleepers at the top of this fourth round, who actually should have probably been legitimate second-day picks, but somehow fell through the cracks. And we've had a night now to think about this, to let it simmer and marinate, and uh, that 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 fourth round now becomes a very interesting round for a lot of teams, a very yeah. significant round for a lot of teams. So don't just sleep on those, because you you, you can do something with those picks. Well, and that's why I'll bring up an example real quickly before we wrap up. If memory serves me correct, the year that they moved up and traded for Landon Collins, you know, after the first round wrapped up, the conversation is, all right, who's left? Who right. didn't go in the first round? So Collins is staring at you on the board, and then you start to say, all right, hey, is it feasible we move up? Maybe we could grab a guy who we think is really good value. So that's what you're laying out here after every day. You look at who's on the board. You okay. regroup. Yeah, exactly. No, that's a good way to put it. All right, that is going to wrap things up for us here on Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. A reminder, it is presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. We'll be back up and running tomorrow at noon Eastern for Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll continue to preview two more schools, Kentucky and Houston. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Have a good one.